This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Mysick and Steve Ojello. Hey, this is Steve Ojello, and I'm here with John Mysick. How's it going, Steve? It's going well, John. And today, we'll be discussing our top 10 favorite new wave songs of the 80s. Now, a lot of time was spent, and many difficult decisions went into making this list, and some of the selections are surprising. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John... By creating our list of top 10 favorite new wave songs, we've obnoxiously cut down an entire subgenre of pop music, which holds massive quantities of the best songs that came out of the greatest decade. So with that said, Mysik, what's your first pick? You know, this is like trying to pick my favorite child. Uh, there were so many songs that were left on the cutting room floor, Steve, and we could be here days and days and days talking about uh, our favorite tunes. I was talking with my wife about this this morning before we jumped on there. She's like, well, what about that one? What about that one? What about, and, uh, and I, what could I say? I'm like, they were all awesome choices. I'm going to go with uh, my first pick out of the gate. Um, Spandau Ballet's 1981 debut single from their debut album, Journeys to Glory. I'm going with To Cut a Long Story Short. Um, expertly produced by Richard James Burgess, who, by the way, trivia fans, was in an amazing 1980s band called uh, Landscape, who had a, uh, a top five hit of their own with a track called Einstein and Go-Go, Track It Down Kids. It's on Spotify. I highly recommend it. Steve, this was the, the the new romantic track of all new romantic tracks. It's the one that put Spando on the map. It's the one that put the Blitz on the map. Uh, it's the one that put the whole movement on the map. You can't mistake that. Uh, you can't mistake that synth riff, John Keeble's drums, Martin Kemp's amazing bass break in the middle of it. Um, most Americans, when they think about Spandau, they think about True. They think about an easy listening band. Um, but a lot, too many, don't know that when they first debuted, they were a dangerous band. Um, they made amazing Euro disco, uh, and this is just a fantastic listen from uh, from end to end. Three minutes plus of uh, techno pop bliss. That's right. And I feel like because the song was released in 1981, it really set the stage for a lot of the new wave music that followed it, that driving keyboard line, that awesome bass line that Martin was laying down, the vocal line, the overall vibe of the song really set the stage for new wave going forward. And I love the 12-inch version of that song. I really feel that that 12-inch version became the blueprint for a lot of the extended mixes that so many other bands copied first few years of the early 80s. And you know what I love too? The cheapness of the video in 1981 that they shot, right? <laughs> we were watching videos in 1981, 1982. Video was a new format and they kind of just threw the camera up and <laughs> recorded. And I think Spandau was like in a barn or something. It was it was, a, it was a straight it was a straight up performance clip. They were in uh, uh, somewhere in London. It was a streetscape. It might have been a dungeon. It might have been a tunnel. Um, you had two young women from the Blitz Club who were doing the famous Blitz dance in that video. Tony Hadley, um, for some reason, holding a pair of binoculars, um, and then every, and then everybody else kitted out in those uh, in those tartan plaids that everyone associated with uh, with the New Romantic movement. They were in um, full New Romantic garb that had a tartan flair, right down to the shoes in that video. 
which was, they were, I think they were, they might've been wearing ballet flats. Don't hold me to it, but they might've been wearing ballet flats in that video. And we still don't know why Tony Hadley had those binoculars. It was like, he needed something to hold. It was very dramatic. I think that's a great entry to kick off this top 10 list because it is such a new wave anthem. I'm going to tell you my first entry. Yeah, let's, have, let's, let's have it. Let's hear your number one. I'm dying for All this right. one. So my first entry into this list is Haircut 100's Love Plus One. And the reason I love this song so much is that it embodied this sophisticated, suave sound that you heard with some of the bands in the early 80s. Like if you listen to Martin Fry's ABC songs, if you listen to a lot of those Brian Ferry songs in the early 80s, and it was a sound that the Blow Monkeys picked up in 1986 for digging your scene. You know what I'm talking about? It's very. I, I do. No, I, I absolutely do. It was just sort of a sound that was being thrown around. I think the song is great, right? It starts with that driving guitar and then the marimba comes in. And, you know, we talked about the saxophone a lot in the 80s, but the marimba really made its way into different songs. When you look at Bananarama's Cruel Summer, Psychedelic Furs, Love My Way, Duran Duran's Last Chance on the Stairway. There was the long um, marimba solo. David Bowie's Blue Jean and most prominently featured in Robert Palmer's Looking for Clues. It's such a quirky single. It was one of the, you know, it was Haircut 100 with, with Nick Hayward, one of the great sort of tormented geniuses of early 1980s pop uh, of the new pop is what they called it back in in those days as they were emerging from the post-punk era when you had that nucleus hayward uh les nemish on bass and the guitar player whose name escapes me at the moment and they were rounded out by this amazing sax player blair cunningham on drums who was like the engine wow. room of that band who went on the play with pretenders and paul mccartney and so many people you know if you track down the band's reunited special about this band on youtube as I did um, when they regrouped, I don't know, around 2003, 2004. You're, you're reminded of everything that was special about them in the first place. And I'm ready to curse you on this one, by the way, because I was all set to include Haircut uh, 100 in my top five. And then you sent me that text news on your list. So I, I, I gladly, I gladly seed the ground. I want to tell a story about this, though. I remember being, oh God, 13, 14 years old and going to the Caldor across from my dad's restaurant in Torrington, Connecticut. And um, combing through the bins and coming across uh, coming across the cover of Pelican West, the Haircut 100 debut record, um, with them in their tennis whites, kind of like laying on the ground, looking all very loose and casual and very English. And it was like an image being beamed in from another planet. And I was I was instantly hooked. And you listen to that multi-track sax intro with the soprano sax carrying the melody online underneath the tenor underneath that. Just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I've recently become re-obsessed with this band, as my wife will firmly attest. I've been playing this record into the ground lately and remembering everything I loved about this band in the first place. So I feel like we got to tag Nick Hayward in this. They're by the way, they're they're back and active again on Instagram. So we need we need to tag right. Nick Hayward in this so we can make him pay attention. Absolutely. I want to mention, he looks great. Um, my wife and I saw him on one of those MTV fests playing live. He just looks great. He sounds great. We could easily switch this song out with favorite shirts. Favorite oh, yeah. shirts. Oh, fantastic he, day. Yeah, definitely. Song, great bass line. Makes you want to dance. There are two equally great songs. Going back to Love Plus One, what I love about that song, <laughs> not just the sophisticated sound of the music that was so prevalent in the early 80s, 
but just the vocal style of, of how he sings it and the famous tagline, ay, 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 I had to Google those lyrics to figure out what he was singing on the chorus, just by the way. You know, when you hear the song originally, you kind of formulate the words in your head, and that's yep. those are the words you sing for decades oh, yeah. until you <laughs> Google it and you realize, oh, geez, I was singing the wrong singing words. For, like, the, completely the wrong words, yeah. But, but you know what was cool, and this is something that the kids don't know about growing up in the 80s, is that kids in the 80s sort of had their own way of talking, you know, all the catchphrases, gag me with a spoon, like, whatever. Did you actually know anybody who said gag me with a spoon? Only in the movies. But That's I, what I'm I think, saying. I never actually met another breathing human being who said gag me with a spoon, <laughs> outside of, like, square pegs. And I agree with you. I think that was kind of just formulated, like, on a movie set or something. But I remember, you know, like, totally grody. And in the music, it sort of translated to that as well. If you look at some of the singing styles from some of the artists back in the 80s, they had a certain way of singing. You know, if you listen to a lot of those Echo and the Bunnymen songs, you know, like, we're taking advantage of breaking the back of love. You, you know, would you, would, would you do that again? No, thank you. No, please. I, I'm, I'm, just, just one more time. Just please. I want to hear you do Ian McCulloch. I'm going to cut that out. Play that's the, gonna, that's gonna, that will warm me while I sleep tonight. Thank you. I appreciate right. it. But, but you know what I'm saying? There was a certain style of singing that a lot of the 80s guys had. And, and that was apparent in this song. You know, it's, it, it's, it's very, very English. It's very, very, very English. It, it was kind of neat. We talked about like sort of the freedom of the 80s in music and the acceptance of curveballs being thrown at people. Today, I heard on the radio... Nina's Luft Balloons, the German version. I think it's better than the, the English version. Oh, absolutely. 100%. It was written in that language, and it sounds best in that language, and it's awesome. Singers could get away with so much stuff in the 80s that they can't get away with now. As a matter of fact, they use auto-tune now to auto-correct like, all the imperfections of their voice. It's, it's crazy, but in the 80s, they were just throwing it all out there vocally. I, by the way, I, I will see you and raise you a German. Uh, speaking of one hit wonders, I heard Major Tom by Peter Schilling just the other night. I 100% love that tune. 100% love that song. And it was his kickback to David Bowie's to Major David Tom. Bowie's. Yep, exactly right. So, yeah, that, that was great. I mean, pop life there. <laughs> no, that's all. So, Haircut 100, Love Plus One. So, that's my first entry for this list. All right. Um, it's it, it's funny you should bring up uh, Martin Fry and ABC because that Steve Ajo is my number two. The Look of Love by ABC from their uh, first record, The Look of Love Part One. For me, like the the pinnacle, so the apotheosis of the new pop. I mean, you had everything going on there. You had that Trevor Horn production. You had Martin Fry. You were singing as if his heart was broken, and it was. Steve Singleton's sax, Mark White's guitar, David Palmer's drums, and again, that amazing orchestral, lush um, Trevor Horn production that really made the record complete and that unforgettable video. I mean, it, there's nothing about it that I can, can complain about. It is, it is perfect from stem to stern. I, it's just amazing. And, and this has to be a song that... Well, Mark like, Fry's gold lame suit. I mean, how do you not remember that literally gold suit? I, you know, I wanted one. For the longest time, I wanted one. I might still get one. Who knows? I think he wore that golden suit in, broken, in uh, Shoot That Poison Arrow because he, the look of love was that 
horrendous video when he was wearing that pinstripe suit and the hat and they had the puppets. There were there were two there were two different videos. They made two videos. But yeah, there was that one that was like where they looked like they were in a like the the, the music man. Yes. Oh, oh, it was horrible. And and such an abomination to such a great song, that video. If anybody checks out that video, oh. This is a song that you and I probably listened to thousands of times over the years. One of the the staples of 80s new wave music. You know, with that lyric, if you judge a book by the cover, then you judge the look by the lover. Just genius. I hope to soon discover when we go one from one extreme to another. Oh, so true. So yes. true. And, and, you know, all in the 90s when I was single um, and I'd be with a friend out in the bar and either I'd get a glimpse from a girl or, or my buddy would get a glimpse of a girl, I'd, I'd always say, that's a look of love right there. You know? <laughs> so you that, sly devil, you. My uh, goodness. So that song brings me back to the Haircut 100 Love Plus One song where they both had similar music styles, you know, very sophisticated, very suave. I love that pizzicato string bell piano break that's in the middle, you know, before he goes into a few choruses. Just beautiful. That's a credit to Trevor Horn. Made and, that that was, and that was on the radio. It had this like this Burt Bacharachian kind of arrangement, that wall of sound thing they had going on. That was a pop hit. That could never yeah. be a pop hit today, but in 1981, 82, or whatever the heck it was, yeah, it made perfect sense, and it still sound it still sounds fantastic. Uh, if you go rummaging around again on the YouTube's from about 2004, 2005, there is a uh, performance of this with wait for it, Nick Beggs of Kajagugu. No kidding. Beggs. Wow. Oh, it's fantastic! It's amazing. Now I have to. I have no, to. You, go need, you need to go. Wa- you need to go watch this. When we when we get done recording tonight, you need to go watch this. What a great song! What a staple of eighties music! And we can't overlook the yippee yay, yippee yay at the end. <laughs> you know, which, <laughs> I, I love that. These English guys were like, you know, obsessed with cowboys and you know American culture yeah. and, and and everything also. And a lot of the Motown influence that you could hear in the other songs from ABC. Oh, 100%. I, you know, I remember Rick Astley saying on the Rockin' Tours that listening to Motown sounds like Christmas to him. It's nice to hear that while we were listening to all that English music, they were listening to all the Motown. And that was, and that was our road to discovering all of that stuff because they would name check it in interviews. And we were like, who the hell is that? And then you go and look it up and you, and you discover it. Yeah. We had so much time as, as teenagers to dig into all of that. Mm-hmm. It was so great. Okay, now comes my next pick. This is a pick from the band Squeeze. You and I, every time we talk about 80s music, Squeeze always comes up, no matter what. And, you know, it's funny. Like, when you talk to the common man, Mysick, about Squeeze, they'll undoubtedly talk about black coffee in bed, tempted, pulling muscles from a shell. You talk to any new waivers about Squeeze, they'll mention, take me, I'm yours, cool for cats. But my pick for this list is Hourglass. The song Hourglass came out in 1987. That was a hit for the band, off the Babylon and on album. But in my opinion, sort of flew under the radar as far as squeeze hits went. And I just feel that's that's just a fantastic song. A song that I've listened to over and over again over the years. Brings all of the things that you would expect from the Tilbrook Difford 
collaboration with the exception of, of not having a Glenn Tobruk guitar solo, which is always the cherry on top of any squeeze song. It doesn't have one, but it does have great sax in it, especially in the opening. That sax just comes right in and hits you in the nose. And of course, the video, which was a great compliment to the song, right? Full of optical illusions, which I'm still trying to figure out how Glenn Tobruk fell down the upward staircase. Well, it's all camera angles and it's, it's all it's all trick photography and wires. It's, it's good, but there, there are there are a couple that still kind of get you when you watch it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could ever explain just how much Glenn Tilbrook and Chris Difford's work has meant to me over the years. Um, when I have moonlighted on those occasions, when I have moonlighted as a musical journalist, I have interviewed Glenn Tilbrook a number of times. He's charming and witty and engaging and an amazing storyteller. Chris Difford is as English and reserved as they possibly come. Um, also a gem unto, unto his own self. I mean, so many great records by this band, Steve. That first iteration classic lineup of the band of Difford, Tilbrook, Jules Holland, John Bentley on bass, Gilson Lavis on drums. Just fantastic. And then that I could go on forever about the wonders of East Side Story. The record became was Tempted uh, with Paul Carrick of Ace, uh, later of Mike and Mechanics on keyboards and vocals there. So many great songs on that record, and probably my favorite squeeze record of all time. But I mean, I will say something. There's something really, really special about that post-1985 lineup. They broke up for a couple of years. Different Tilbrook went off and did, in my judgment, a dramatically underappreciated uh, solo or duo record called Difford and Tilbrook, um, and then regrouped. And they came back with this lineup with Difford, Tilbrook, Jules Holland, Andy Metcalf on keys, uh, Keith Wilkinson on bass, playing amazing fretless, and uh, Gilson Lavis once again on drums. And that lineup, which stayed together through the Frank album in 1989 was wonderful. They did some amazing work. Um, I, I had a chance to chat with Keith, Keith Wilkinson some years back. That's cool. A gentleman, just a great storyteller and just so nice. And yeah, I mean, there is something about that Babylon and on record. I mean, everyone knows Hourglass as the single, but you know, there's Trust Me to Open My Mouth that's on there. There's eight, five, was it? Eight, six, There's And hold on, that, that song is so funny because when you first heard that song, you're thinking like eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, Jenny. Or, you know, the 777-9311 by Morris Day. Like, it was kind of their phone number song, which was funny. You got Footprints on there. You got Tough Love on there. You got The Prisoner on there. Um, Striking Matches, another great song. So many great tunes that are sort of, you know, that never really should have been hits. A whole record full of should have been hits. Right. And and I want to mention, I I know Squeeze had a number of drummers over the years, but Gilson... I felt really was the best drummer for them because he fit in seamlessly with the songs. And isn't it great when you're listening to that album, you know, that was the album where Jules Holland came back, you know, you've got this like monster keyboard player just holding back and playing what's right for the song, even in hourglass, like he it's, he's playing an organ and, and it's so low in the mix to have him in the, I loved when he was in the band. I love when Gilson was in the band. Like for me, that, that was the best. And, you know, I always thought Jules was like the George Harrison, the band sitting in the third seat. You had Tilbrook and, and Difford and he was the third man. And it was always great when he was in there. And he, I mean, he was funny because he was a boogie woogie piano player. He really loved, he loved swing. He loved blues. 
he's got a great song on um on the frank album called dr jazz which is just so it's like complete new orleans kind of cajun rock um and he's posted later on english tv for 30 something years now become a musical become a musical institution in the uk just a really quirky figure that uh that jules holland he also had a song on rg bargy right side of the moon right side of the moon wrong side of the moon Ah, the wrong side of the moon. Wrong yes. side of the moon. You're so close. Wasn't hole of the moon. That was water boy. <laughs> so many moon songs. Oh, so I'm I'm gonna go take a, a complete left turn here, and I'm going with uh, "Send Me an Angel" by Real okay. Life, uh, a band that I that I babbled on and on about in the last podcast. See what see what I did there? By the way. What? I, I babble on, babble on, and on about them in the last podcast. Um, this, I mean, this was, to me, this song just sounds like 1983. You got those electronic Simmons drums. You've got that kind of epic sweeping keyboard line. You've got David Steary, the lead singer, um, singing as if his heart is freshly broken and he's pouring all of his emotions down the microphone. Um, you got a killer guitar break in the middle of it. Just so, so melodramatic and something that just spoke to 1983 me and, and it's from that record heartland which came out in 83 um i have it on vinyl i've had it for years i still go back and listen to it and it just sounds dark and mysterious and like australia and a place you want to visit i i just love everything about this tune you you are so funny because you were talking about the 1983 version of the song Versus the 1989 version. We won't, you know, we won't, we won't talk about that. We, no, we won't. That, 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 it, it, it's that, it, it never happened. It kind of like confused me because I'm like, I thought he hated loud gated drums. <laughs> you know, hard drums. We don't know what the last said about that 1989 remix that doesn't need to exist. You were so funny. And, and that that had the girl's vocal, which, which is so prominent and, and sounded great in that song. And those hard sounds, like when you listen to, to New Order Shell Shock from 86, Scritty Politi's Perfect Way from 85, The Promise from Winter Robe 88, Let's Go All the Way by Sly Fox in 86. I mean, those hard sounds paved the way for like those 90s bands, those EDM bands like Front 242, The Prodigy, Nitzareb, and all the techno and stuff that came out. Anybody who thinks of that song is thinking of the 89 version, but you don't even mention it. It's, it's it, doesn't, 19- it, it doesn't exist to me. The 1983 debut single is, it's perfect. It's just this perfect piece, time capsule of 1983 Australian pop. And you don't feel like it, the song wasn't ripe yet. Like it came out, but it no, wasn't it was, quite. It was, it was that, I love that record. The, the song that came up after it was called Catch Me, I'm Falling, which is another great tune um, with a vocoder in the mix. I don't hold that against them. Uh, David Steary, when he tours now, still plays Send Me an Angel, still plays Catch Me, I'm Falling. And, you know, I get a little, I get a little weepy. It's, it's just a very special song for me. It, it is that 83 version is a great song, great video that came out where they were just kind of standing in the forest in the cold. The Simmons well, drums. It's a, little, with, it's a little Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, that it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's for the kids out there. Um, the great thing about growing up in the 80s is that, you yeah. know, whenever a song was released, you, you would have the accompanying video. And that was the fun of it was to see what the video was like. Fans really had to do it right for the song, like to represent the song well. And we could cite so many times where you love a song so much and the video would come out and you'd be like, oh, this is horrible. 
But so you know, you know what's funny about this one though is that this was not a song that got a lot of U.S. radio play. It, it didn't. Really, it was no. a TV hit. Yeah, it had it had a much longer shelf life on MTV. I remember reading about them in Star Hits and reading the review of the record and saving up my dishwashing money to run out and go and buy it from. Uh, I think I must. I think I might have bought it at Caldor. I might have bought it at Strawberries Records and Tapes. I will go very 1980s deep cut on you there. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of funny. I felt like I had them because they, it wasn't a huge radio hit. I felt like I kind of had them all to myself. And and remember those days where you felt like a band like belonged to you, and you got a little resentful when they got too mega. You like they they like they're being taken away from you. Gotcha. What I wanted to say was for the kids, the great thing about the '80s was that video was a new format. Yep. And it was, new, it was a new medium. So whenever a song would come out, you would wait for the accompanying video. And, you know, you would hope that the video was as, just as good as the song. And a lot of times exactly. it was like when there was a really good song, I, I think the record company went out of their way to ensure that it, the video did the song justice. <laughs> when, when you look at that Send Me an Angel video and you think about, to cut a long story short, and you remember the Slade video, Run, Run Away from 84. Yeah. And you could do a whole lot with a castle and some dry ice. I mean, you could just, you could do so much. There were these like just cheap videos that came out in the early 80s. And remember the Pretenders Brass and Pocket. Oh, Nick, Nick Lowe's Cruel to Be Kind. I mean, yep. talk about like a homemade music video. So the 1983 version of, of that song, same thing. Like they were just out in the woods or in the forest. They, just... they didn't. They clearly did not spend a lot of money on on the video, which was just what I kind of loved about it. It was just. It was very. It was very stripped down and primitive. Uh, and Australia was making so much. There were so many great bands in Australia in those days. NXS had not become had not yet become huge. There was Midnight Oil. There was the Church. There were so many so many fantastic bands in Australia um, in the early part of the 1980s. And, and remember Men at Work when they came out strong with Down mm -hmm. Under. Yes. And that was it. Uh, like one of those career-defining songs. I'm very embarrassed that Men at Work didn't make this list, but I told myself that I wouldn't put them in the new wave list. It's, it's more of like... They a, really, no, they were a little bit too top 40. Yeah. Right, right. So who's your number three? So with number three, I'm going with Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears. You can argue and say, okay, that's not really a, a new wave song because even though Tears for Fears started as a new wave band, they eventually, as soon as Songs of the Big Chair came out, they, they went to ladies pop, right? But there were a lot of new wave influences still in there. So that's why it's showing up in the list. I love the happy, optimistic vibe of the song. I love the, the genuine way that Roland sings that song. I love Kurt's voice in that song. Kurt's voice, it's never changed over the years. Just, you know, that fantastic intro with the piano and the strings bubbling up behind it. And then Roland's pentatonic, fifth sounding guitar line going over it before the drums even kick in. Just a fantastic introduction to the song. You know what the secret ingredient to that song was. The monkey in the video? No, no. The, the <laughs> keyboard solo. The keyboard yes, solo. Behind the monkey, it was it was the keyboard solo. So Ian Stanley playing the Jupiter 8, one of the greatest keyboard solos in all of popular music. And just the way it flies in onto the desk in the video, and he played <laughs> with his finger, signing his finger from left to right. It, it was just a really cool visual being a teenager and watching him play that that solo. And, and he was he was a secret weapon in that band. 
as well. You know, we talked uh, two or three pods ago about those auxiliary players who make bands so much better. Ian Stanley in Tears for Fears was one of those guys, just an exemplary keyboard player. He had the production chops. He, you know, I believe Kurt Smith, I think on Rock and Tours, really spoke about the role that, that Ian Stanley played in that band. I think he's happily retired now and not in music anymore. But I will talk, you talk about the, the Jupiter 8 single um, solo. For me, it's the wonderful, lovely melodic bass line. Uh, um, yeah. That, that Great creates, um, as, as the bass player in the, in the pod, I will point to the lovely melodic bass line that Kurt Smith plays on that song. Um, and somehow manages to sing live at the same time. You know, his counter melody, nothing ever changes when you're acting your age thing, it's just and nothing can stand in your way, is just this like lovely, sublime part of that song. I think that does not get nearly enough notice. And you're right, I mean, it kind of exists on that kind of like ragged edge of 1980s New Wave, because I think we both agreed um, the other week that like in 1984, there was like a hard stop. And when we woke up in 1985, it was a different kind of pop music. But you could still hear that Tears for Fears from 1983 in the hurting in there in that song. And, you know, Roland Orbs Bulls talking has spoken quite a lot about his own travails and some of his mental struggles. And you can hear some of that in the uh, in the lyric. Songs from Big Chair was you know, taken from psychotherapy. So I mean, that was always uh, shot through their uh, shot through their music. So for number, where are we? Number four? Four. Number four, I'm going with uh, West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. That's a fantastic one. From, from top to bottom, I mean, the, you know, sort of that ubiquitous 1980s techno pop duo where you had the one guy playing keys and the one guy singing, like Soft Cell or Blamange or so many other, or so many other bands. And Neil Tennant, um, a smash hits journalist who became a singer with that very nasally, very English vocal of his kind of rapping and singing. And you, know, you can hear that sort of urban wash at the beginning of, of the song. And then that keyboard bass part comes in. That, that's me, by the way, playing techno bass. Um, you're welcome, listeners. It, it's just it's just such a great song. I mean, Neil Tennant being very f- sort of reserved in english and 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 chris lowe the keyboard player being practically invisible and i mean what became really great about them years later and they became kind of gay icons as well neil tennant um, embraced his homosexuality and you know they became just this incredibly iconic band you and i had a near miss with that uh, tour last fall when uh, New Order came, came New so, Order and the Pet Shop Boys came to the States. But um, I've seen videos and they are just as sharp in their 60s as they were in their in their 20s. Mysick and I had tickets to go see that show and I got sick. And so now every time New Order or the Pet Shop Boys comes on, I, I, I literally get sick to my stomach. Knowing he, that he actually, I've seen him cry. He cries. I do. I'm a, I'm you, a you're in touch with that. It's good. No, I appreciate it. This is one of the iconic songs of the 80s decade. Every band or artist has like that one flagship song that allowed them to have a long-term career. And this is definitely the song for them. And you can easily switch the song out with, with opportunities because that was just as big of a hit. Yep. Now, did you, you know? did you get the disco remix cassette with the extended mixes? No. Yeah, no. I so don't, there's a, that, yeah, there's a cassette called Disco. 
It's got the extended 12-inch remixes of Opportunities and Suburbia and oh, Panamaro and West like End in the Zone. What's that? Didn't they release that in the 90s or something? No, it was, it was like 1987, 88, because I remember I had my first car and I was driving around with the cassette playing it at top volume. And it Jeez. was, and it's, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant. Just the iconic dance music. And that was the thing with the Pet Shop Boys is like, they could have had Western girls and they kind of banished off the face of the earth. But, but they didn't. They had Western girls, they had opportunities, they had Pananaro, they had Suburbia. And then they came back in 1987 with, it's a sin, and what have I done to deserve this? With Dusty Springfield, they just went from strength to strength to strength. I mean, they're one of these bands who've had a, maybe not always on the radio, but always a consistently creative and interesting career. They had more than 70 hits in their career so oh, far. Easily. I think Weston and Girls is, is really a good one for this list because it did allow them to have a long-term career. I mean, when a band comes out and their first single goes that big, it becomes like an international smash it's, it's, hit. It's inescapable, yeah. And, and those lyrics, Mike. Call the police and that around. Running down on the ground to a dive bar. Bars in a Weston town. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just That's English, like English proto-rap, English white boy proto-rap right there is what that was. <laughs> and, and like the two of them staring into the camera in the opening of the video. Walking in slow-mo and, and that dissolve at the end of it. Oh, yeah. They, they were just very like expressionless. Very, it was very, very, very English. I, I, mean, I keep saying, I've been saying it all night, but I, they are, they're very English. And that's one of the things I love about them the most. So next I want to bring up Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order. You can't talk about New Wave without mentioning New Order. They're one of the staples. And oh, yeah. since we already just talked about the pop, the Pet Shop Boys, <laughs> we missed the Pet Shop Boys New, New Order concert. Here I am bringing up New Order. If a kid said to you, Mysick, let me hear a band that's very New Wave, I, I think New Order would be an appropriate choice to play them because when you listen to Bizarre Love Triangle, there are so many great keyboard parts in that song. And you, you know, it's funny, the, the best version of that song is actually the 12 inch extended mix, which is about I was seven about to say, minutes. The Chef Teddy Bone 12 inch single remix. Right. Yes. Right. You know what it is? There are so many great parts, so many great keyboard parts to that song that when you listen to the album version or the single version, they're all stacked on top of each other. And it sounds very convoluted and crowded, but the, the 12 inch Jeff Pettibone remix allows the song to breathe and allows those parts to actually come out and be played and be heard. And it just mm -hmm. has a great flow. You know, you listen to the intro keyboard with the delay on it, going into the lead sound. You know, there's the vocoder part, there's the string part. It is, it is also, I would say, one of the great Bernard Sumner lyrics of, of the New Order catalog as well. Um, every time I see you falling, I get down on my knees and pray. I'm waiting for that final moment to say the words that I can't say. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. I mean, some years later, an Australian band, Steve, you probably remember called Frente, covered that acoustically. Who really brought something out of the song that was that you didn't hear before. But yeah, you know, this is one of those things like where you try to pick your sort of favorite new order song once again it's like trying to pick like your favorite child you could have gone with blue monday which you can make an argument is like the best dance 12 inch single 
of the 1980s. You could make a really credible argument. You could go with uh, you could go with Perfect Kiss. You could go with Temptation. You could go with True Faith. But there, you're right. There's something about Bizarre Love Triangle specifically, though, that Shep Pettibone remix that just like screams perfect 1980s single, new wave single. He actually made the song better. There were so many great parts to that song and, and a great synth bass line. And they add extra drums. So it's it's the perfect seven-minute mix. Definitely one of the best New Wave songs. But like you said, this could absolutely be switched out with any other of the New new Order songs. They're all so good. Um, you I could, went with you the, could even maybe throw in Level Terrace apart. I will say that, too, from Joy Division. Oh. The greatest song of all time. This is what, is what that is. This is my fifth and uh, and last song here, and uh, we've been we've been skirting around this band uh, for the entire conversation. I'm going with Blasphemous Rumors by Depeche Mode off their Some Great Reward LP. You know, you talk again, Steve, about a great single in a record full of great singles on that album. You had People Are People. You had Master and Servant. You had. Uh, somebody sung by Martin Gore, one of the great sort of new way of love songs that still absolutely brings me to my knees. But there's just there's something in the production of of blasphemous rumors, of something in the way Dave Gone sings the lyric, which that crisis of faith about a girl of eighteen fell in love with everything, um, and then does herself in by the end of the tune. It's so tragic and then that unforgettable chorus i don't want to start any blasphemous rumors but i think that god has a sixth sense of humor and when i die i expect to find him laughing to 17 year old me doing in a pretty strict catholic household that song kind of blew the top of my head off and uh you know it set me it set me down um a different path and every time i've heard it in every year since it has still um it has still spoken to me i can't say i'm i'm down with those with those dark lyrics but I definitely agree with you that music-wise, it, it was Depeche Mode at their peak. They had a fantastic run from the mid-80s to the, to the late 80s, ending with the masterpiece that was Violator, right? And, and during the mid-80s, late 80s, they were on the radio song after song ad nauseum. Right, the way that Nirvana was on the radio all the time in the nineties. So this is a band that sold. This know. is a band that sold out the Rose Bowl for the. I mean, they <laughs> sold out the damn Rose Bowl. I saw them in Wembley, nineteen ninety, behind the Violator LP. Right. And you had Martin Gore. You had Martin Gore. You had Alan Wilder. You had the late Andy Fletcher. You know, again, play, standing up there playing keys, or Martin Gore coming down playing a bit a spot of guitar. They and Dave Gunn, they electrified that room. And yeah, I've seen the tour film 101. He is singing all the way to the back of that stadium. And he has that crowd in the palm of his hands. You know, you, you could say, I mean, three guys in a keyboard, and some dude out front singing, well, but there was something about them. was just electric. He's you know, just, I, I just, you know, they have that new record. They have that new record coming out. Uh, Memento Mori and the new, and the new single they recorded in tribute to Andy Fletcher. And both he and Martin Gore um, look far better than they have any right to look as a couple of guys in their, uh, for a couple of guys in their sixties, it gives us both something to aspire to. I think Steve. I totally agree. And this would have been a great time to come back. And a lot of fans were oh, yeah. the team of Gore and Wilder, like were, were so good, right? It was, their relationship musically sort of reminded me of the, the 1940s where you had 
a composer, right? He would he would write the song and then he would hand it to the arranger, and the arranger would orchestrate it for the orchestra or the band. Gore would write the songs, and and then he would give it to Alan, and Alan would would arrange it and make it very Depeche Mode. And the song that you picked, Blasphemous Rumors, is a great representation of Depeche Mode in their world domination prime. You know, you can easily switch the song out, I think, with Strange Love or Black Celebration, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Okay. I believe this is the last one. Is that correct? Yes. Number five or number one, depending on, depending on your perspective on these things. We're not, we're, we're not ranking them, friends. We're not ranking them. I think this song is an important one, an iconic song of the 80s, one of the big decade-defining songs of the 80s, a massive international pop hit that still rings in people's heads today uh, with an iconic lyric. I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar, right? <laughs> Don't you want me from the Human League, from their 1981 Dare album. The keyboards in that song are just, from beginning to end, just so great. If you listen to the 12-inch extended mix of that song, it is very similar to what you brought up, John, with Thompson Twins' Hold Me Now, the instrumental version of Hold Me Now. You used the word, it's very orchestral. When you listen to the 12-inch mix of Don't You Want Me, you can actually hear all the different keyboard parts that are being played. It makes it a standalone piece of music where the vocals are need, even needed. So when you strip the vocals away and just listen to the song as it is, instrumental-wise, it's perfect. Having those iconic vocals and having the lyrics that still ring in a lot of people's heads today, just a perfect mix. Yeah, and you think about how much the Human League had to prove with the Dare LP, Steve. You know, that, that prior band with Ian Craig Marsh and Martin Ware, who were the two sort of synth boffins in the band and they split and they went off and formed heaven 17 with glenn gregory and you know, didn't have as many pop hits but everyone was like looking at like phil Oakey, like you're the guy we're gonna leave you with the guy who sings and the guy who does the slide projections what do you got and phil Oakey, he went he started combing the discos in sheffield he found suzanne sully he found joanne catherall uh two sort of like amazing disco dolls who just rounded out the lineup just perfectly they went into the studio with Martin Rushent, and boom, emerged with this incredible record, just this synth pop symphony. And you're right. I mean, when you listen to that 12-inch remix of Don't You Want Me, and you don't realize how much is going on in that song until you strip away all of the vocals, and it does stand by itself. You got love action on there as well. So many great songs on that one. Ian Craig Marsh admitted it. They blew Heaven 17 out of the water you know the 717 the guys who were supposed to make it big became the also rans to the human league because that dare record just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and unfortunately they never really approached that commercial creative high again but if you're going to have an artistic tour de force you can do worse than dare and we've listened to that dare album like so many times over the years it's one of the iconic albums from the new wave era of the 80s. You've got Open Your Heart on there. Sound of the Crowd is, I love the Sound of the Crowd myself personally, and love action too. That's another great song where the Jupiter 8 was very prominent. It was featured in Animotion's Obsession. It was all over the Duran Duran album. Berlin's Take My Breath Away, The Metro. Was that, um, was that an 808? Were those 808 drums? No, those were Lynn drums on there. Those were Oh yeah. Those were yeah. Lynn. Those were Lynn drums on there. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to throw in a shout out Ian Burden, who was um, who they who they brought in for that album to, to beef up the lineup. They brought in Joe Callis, who used to play in the Rosillos as well, a great English pub rock band. 
that lineup together was uh, was just extraordinary. They had brought a musicality to it that the band would not have had otherwise. I know, John, there were a number of songs that didn't make the list, a number of honorable mentions. Uh, you know, I, because in the interest of time, so we don't have the listeners wandering away for a bathroom break, but I will very quickly run down that list. Somebody from the Depeche Mode family, Vince Clark, who left after... Uh, Speaking uh, the the first the first album uh, only you from Yaz and uh, Oh Lamour from Erasure Vince Clark I think probably one of the great pop songwriters of the last forty years in his own way an undeniable knack with a melody with a with a talent for picking the exactly right vocalist exactly right vocalist for the song and I will say I will say before we part uh, listeners if you hop onto the YouTube's um, and Google Alison Moyet, the singer from Yaz. You'll find her doing uh, Only You for a Burberry fashion show uh, where she gets an orchestral backup on the song. Um, if you do not start crying, check yourself for a pulse. Um, very quickly, I will go with Come Back and Stay by the great Paul Young with that unbelievable Pino Palladino bass line underneath of it. Just a perfect 80s blue-eyed soul. I, I love that first album, No Parlay, in, in every way. I, in every way, it's possible to love an album. Really quickly, my honorable mentions, the song Talk Talk from the band Talk Talk from the album Talk Talk. To me, it is one of the most new wavy sounding songs of all. Got the Simmons drums, got the big keyboards, the singing style of the early 80s. I'm going to mention Echo and the Bunnymen's Killing Moon. I'm going to mention NXS's Don't Change. Oh, right? good one. One of that song has some of the best energy of any song that's out there. I'm um, just yeah. great energy in that song. And uh, I we, we, we cover it in the Thompson triplets, 100%. It gets the crowd going every single time. It should be mentioned that you're in a, um 80s cover band called the Thompson Triplets. Yeah, I play bass in an 80s cover band called the Thompson Triplets. Come out and see us. We can't let this one go unless we mention The Cure, The Smiths, and Duran Duran, and so many others. I'm throwing in my honorable mention for uh, Electricity by OMD on the way out the door as well. Sort of the, the er techno pop song. I love those guys so, so much. So that's our top 10 new wave favorite song list. Oh, in no particular order. I'm, uh, I'm John. Thanks for uh, coming by, everybody. Okay. And this is Steve saying, until next time, keep it cool, keep it awesome, and keep it totally rad.